I've been getting uh, text messages and emails, uh, and a lot of people have been asking me, is this the end? Yeah. Uh, I, I saw uh, one, one text had a clip from a leader guy who was, uh, he was talking about, you know, the end of, end, end of days, end times, and he was picking out, like, uh, different little verses from uh, different parts of the Bible, and he was saying, one thing he said, he was like, he was like uh, and there will be a great plague. And he was like, COVID-19, anyone? And I was like, Ooh, oh, gosh, that's a good point. Um, and then, you know, he talked about, like, uh, some, some guy from the East who had, who had come and, and conquer the world. Is that Vlad? Vlad the Impaler? Vlad Putin? And so I was watching this video. I started getting worried the world was about to end. Um, and then I thought, wait a minute. It might be. Uh, but we do have, um, we, we have some testimony that God's given us uh, in, in the book of Revelation that tells us about the end of days. And, and maybe if we look at it, maybe we take some time with it, we can uh, not only get a sense for where we are um, in world history, but also we might get a sense for what God's calls the church to do, whether it's the end of days or not. And so I invite you, uh, let's, let's read uh, from the very beginning of the book of Revelation. This is our, our new series, Dear Church. And it, we're looking at the letters, the, the words that Jesus gives to the churches in Revelation that I think you'll see are really to us right now. And so this is the, the intro, this is the beginning, where I'm calling this Apocalypse Now. Uh, because you're going to notice that, that John seems to think things are happening soon. And so he writes this, he writes, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, that's the writer, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, the Messiah, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Going on, John says this, John, to the seven churches in Asia, modern-day Turkey, really, um, you can actually visit the ruins of some of these. If you go to, like, Ephesus, for example, uh, there, we have some of the ancient ruins of these churches. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus the Messiah, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him, Jesus, who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him, Jesus, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A little bit later, John shares that, that, that Jesus himself appears to him. So, so here's, here's what he testifies to have seen. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow even. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its fullest force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Whoa! Really hitting us right between the eyes there, John. Don't water it down at all. 
Well, to begin with the book of Revelation, we need to understand what Revelation is. And so notice that the very beginning of what John says, he says, this is the revelation of Jesus the Messiah. When you see the word Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. Uh, it means Messiah, the anointed one. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does anyone know, by chance, uh, what what Greek word lies behind the word revelation? It's related to a modern English word that we, we use sometimes. Anybody know? Apocalypse. Yes. Apocalypsis. Apocalypse. Apocalypse is the regular Greek word meaning revelation or exposure, exposing. Um, but because of this book, because of the prophecies and the visions held in this book, we have come to associate apocalypse with violence and cataclysm and end of days. And you can see why. I mean, at the very beginning, we, we have this incredible imagery. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, in, 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 I think actually in 1998, um, Michael Bay, uh, one of the greatest directors of all time, uh, <laughs> uh, showed us what, what uh, we're supposed to do with uh, revelation or apocalyptic material. Um, Apocalypse, John's not, John's not the only person who wrote like this in the ancient world. We have lots of different texts from the time where, where things are just, it's just mind blowing, the imagery. And so, uh, 1998, uh, he, he, he harnessed, uh, Michael Bay got, bought Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck together for one of the world's greatest movies, Armageddon. And even Armageddon, when you, uh, Megiddo, that's where it says in Revelation, the, the last days there's going to be a battle on the plains of Megiddo. That's where we get our word Armageddon. And we assume, uh, we, we kind of have this sort of, like, kind of knowledge that Armageddon means like the last battle, right? And, and, and that's kind of filtered down, even if you haven't read Revelation, that's kind of, you may have thought or heard that. And not only that, um, it, it's going into the wider culture. And so instead of Jesus coming and slaying the forces of darkness, right? In Armageddon, uh, Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck have to destroy an asteroid that's going to come blow up Earth. This movie, um, I, I'm just kidding. I, I, I hate it. If you haven't seen it, don't. It's a waste of your time. But a couple of years ago, um, Aaron forced me to watch it again because she, she, she really appreciates the love story between Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler. Uh, and she loves that song that, uh, what was it, the Aerosmith wrote? Do you remember, what's that song? I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, she loves that. Um, <laughs> but if you just, just imagine that you're like, <laughs> it's gonna, you're going to green light a movie. And the writer comes and he's like, okay, so uh, we're going to have a big asteroid. It's going to blow up Earth. So what are we going to do? We're going to nuke it. And in order to nuke it, we're going to send some oil field drillers on a spaceship to the asteroid. They're going to drill to the center of the asteroid, put a nuclear bomb in the middle, and blow it up. <laughs> yes! Make it! This is genius! How could we not? It would be crazy not to make this movie. So it's already over the top, right? It's, it's already ridiculous. But then what the movie does is it says, you think that's ridiculous? We're going to go to the next level of ridiculousness. And my favorite part of the movie is uh, when it totally jumps the shark, quite almost literally. Uh, they have this, um, this, this mining machine Mars rover type thing. I have it here. It's the armadillo. And the armadillo gets separated from like where they're supposed to, I don't know, drill the nuke or whatever. And so the, the, so Ben Affleck, he's like, we're gonna have to jump this thing. And so there's this massive like miles wide cavern 
on the asteroid. And Ben Affleck's like, we're doing this. And he goes full speed, hits the throttle, and he like flies in the air like with this, this big Mars rover and lands right where he's... Fl- it's like, it's, it's fine art, people. Fine art. <laughs> However, it, it, actually, it actually illustrates um, something that's really important. It's engaging because it's so over the top. It's so, it's so beyond anything that we would imagine or think about like on our normal days. No one, no one would come up with this, right? Um, and, and that's actually how apocalyptic literature works. Apocalyptic literature is trying to tell us what's going on behind the scenes, Okay, stuff that our eyes and our ears and nose and mouth, things we can't perceive. It's, it, in, in order to get at that, to show how out, outstanding, how extraordinary, how wild it is, John uses a pot, like over-the-top imagery. God, God gives him a vision that uses imagery that is it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And so the first thing in your note sheets here, and this is how we approach uh, the book of Revelation and, Reve- and uh, apocalyptic literature in general. Revelation, apocalypsis, uses over-the-top imagery to reveal what is really going on behind the scenes. So the imagery is wild, but the truth is the truth. And what is that truth? What is it that John says that we, that we need to have the veil pulled back and see? Well, did you listen to this description of Jesus? I saw one like the Son of Man. His head and his hair were white as, as wool, white as snow. It's, it's almost as though John's, he's receiving the vision, right? And it's so white, the first thing he thinks of is sheep. Probably because he you know, comes from a world in which sheep are, are, are everywhere. And he's like, no, 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 that's not even it. It's whiter than that. It's snow. So he's, almost, he, he's almost like, oh, how do I describe this? His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice like the sound of many waters. Uh, really what John's envisioning here is the crashing of waves. I mean, imagine a voice that sounds like the crashing of waves on the beach. It's beyond description. How, what would that voice <coughs> look like? I mean, it's, how, would you, how would you describe that? In his right hand, he had seven stars, uh, probably representing the churches that he's writing this letter to. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force. Most of the time when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus cuddling the kids, right? I mean, this from the chosen, right? This is Jesus. He's, he's, a, he's, he's loving. He's kind. He accepts all, even from the, the, the edges and, the bound, and, and, and people across the boundaries. He, he forgives. He's, he's, he's gentle. He's nourishing. I, I looked on the, on the Google image search, trying to find somebody who tried to do what John just said, to, to draw what John just said. And ironically, the person that I found uh, was using the image uh, in here in Re- Revelation to make fun of Christianity. How ridiculous you dopes, that you would have a God that looks like this. But that's exactly what John describes. And did you notice, he says, I fell down as though dead. That song, right? I I can only imagine. Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you, be still. John collapses on the ground, hiding himself from a vision of Jesus in all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his power. 
the, the two-edged sword. Um, in the ancient world, uh, there, you know, and, and even in medieval uh, times, you had scimitars, right, or, or, or rapiers. There's types of swords that only have one edge or a point. Um, the point here is that both edges of the sword are used for hacking and slaying. And this is going to be important because at a certain point, Jesus is going to be, in the book of Revelation, depicted as... Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus isn't the loving, kind, nourishing, accepting Lord. It doesn't mean he's not the good shepherd. He is. But John has seen something true. And that is that that's not all there is to Jesus. If you were to tear the veil away and you were able to see and perceive him as he actually is in all of his glory, it would be indescribable. And the best that you could do would be something like this. Hair as white as snow and, and, and the sun shining from his face and eyes that are on fire and a sword waving. Why? First, because, yeah, we don't have the equipment. Our brains and our nervous systems are not able to perceive uh, what's behind the veil. And so this is the best way that John can describe it. But beyond that, Jesus is on a war footing. Jesus has proclaimed victory and shown victory over death and evil and sin. But that doesn't mean that we don't experience it on the day-to-day. It doesn't mean that the end has been finally wiped out. It doesn't mean that darkness has been fully put at bay. And Jesus himself, right now, reveals to John that he is ready to fight. That's the next thing in your note sheets. John's vision of Christ reveals to us there's a war going on. And you notice that, that he said soon and very soon these things are going to happen. Right now the war is building up as we speak. Notice too uh, that, that, that just hearing, just reading, just seeing this is going to bless you. Uh, look, look at this bit of the text. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and keep what's written in it. Uh, this is because, it's, it's done this way, because in the ancient world, very few people were literate, right? And so John wrote down his vision, made copies, and sent it to the seven churches. And at the seven churches, somebody who was literate would stand up and read the scroll. And everyone who couldn't read would, would listen and hear it. It doesn't mean that you have to read it aloud. It doesn't mean that you have to listen to it in order to be blessed. It just means that you have to receive it somehow to receive this blessing. What blessing is, is, is it for us to, to enter into these murky waters, into these wild and, and sometimes terrifying images? What blessing is it for us to peer into what is to come? I have a picture here of uh, Alan Turing, Dr. Alan Turing, and the Enigma machine. For you uh, World War II history buffs, you might know that uh, the Germans invented a, uh, a cipher, like a, a, an encoding device, uh, nicknamed Enigma. It was supposed to be an impenetrable code. It worked by having um, these cylinders that would randomly assign letters different, uh, mix up letters. And so if you had the cylinders in your hand physically, and you put them into the box, uh, and you had the original and then the second one, they, w- they would match up. But anybody who didn't have those cylinders wouldn't be able to crack the way that the letters were being mixed up because it was random. Or so they thought. Uh, Turing was a genius, um, and he, with the help of, of some uh, information that they received from the polls, I believe, uh, Turing was able to uh, develop a, a, an imitation of the machine so that when uh, 
messages were passed, the, the, the Brits at Bletchley Park could receive them and then punch them into their own kind of imitation machine and get the, the, un, the, the, uh, the, the code-broken messages. It wasn't perfect because, remember, they could only intercept so many uh, transmissions. They didn't get them all. And a lot of times they were listening to one side of a conversation that they didn't fully understand. They didn't understand the other side of the conversation. So it wasn't perfect. It remained murky. But, but it was good enough. It was good enough that the Allies were able to preserve a lot of their uh, shipping from German U-boats. They, would, they found out where the wolf packs were and they were able to move to the side. It was good enough to help the Allies flank Rommel in North Africa and destroy his tank corps, leading to victory in North Africa for the Allies. It was good enough. It wasn't perfect, but it was close enough so that the Allies could make hay with it and help turn the tide of the war. Similarly, the book of Revelation, it's not always super clear. I mean, when you have Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth, it, It's a little bit difficult to know what to make of that. But, as you'll see over the next few weeks, it's good enough. It's good enough to do what? To prepare us. In the same way that the Allies were able, were prepared enough to save those convoys and and to attack those tanks, it wasn't perfectly clear, but it was clear enough to prepare them for what they needed to know to survive and win. Similarly, the the revelation of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John is, is clear enough to prepare us for what we need to know and how we need to act and respond in the end of days. It's the next thing in your note sheets. John's vision of Christ prepares us for what's to come, even if it's not always perfectly clear. But that doesn't answer the question. That doesn't answer the question, is the apocalypse now? Is it the end of days? I tend to be skeptical about predictions of the end, uh, just because every single generation of Christians since uh, the Lord Jesus uh, went to uh, be with the Father uh, has assumed that we're, that we're it. We're the end. And they've all been wrong. That said, we do live in wild times. I mean, have you just stopped? Has anyone just stopped to think about what's going on in the last three years? It's crazy because, like, two weeks ago, I'm pretty sure that uh, COVID-19 was the end of the world. Uh, But now it's potentially World War III starting in Ukraine. I mean, isn't that, isn't weird? I, I, I remember as a kid being, doing the duck and cover things in case the San Onofre nuclear plant blew up. And now we're, we've had threats of nuclear war. I mean, the worst, the, the closest we've been to nuclear war in, since I've been alive. That's a little crazy. And, and the disruption to life uh, that, that the pandemic brought and with it, of course, the millions who died. I mean, yesterday, uh, Doreen uh, Dome is here. Uh, yesterday, we, uh, we put Ronnie to rest. Um, he was a victim of uh, COVID-19. Um, it was the thing that, that finished him. 
In crazy times, right, where Doreen wasn't even allowed to go and audio him. She didn't see him until uh, she viewed his body at the mortuary. She couldn't be with him, couldn't pray with him. And a lot of you are feeling the pinch like we are with inflation. Um, For some of you, it's not such a big deal, but I think for all of us, we've noticed it. And and for a lot of us, it's like it's a little bit scary. It's like, you know, we're making it right now, but how long does that last? How long can we keep up? I mean, I don't know what to make of these Canadian truckers because uh, I'm not Canadian. We'll ask Dennis and Sally. They're Canadian. We won't hold it against you. You're welcome here. All are welcome here. Um, so I'm not sure what to make of it all except to say that it's just it's, it's unbelievable to me that, uh, that governments are, like, you know, seizing the bank accounts of citizens. And I'm just like, this is, this is crazy, right? This is crazy. And a lot of us are, are really starting to get worried. Like, uh, my cousin is convinced that, uh, she's convinced that, that, that one thing goes wrong in Belarus or Estonia or wherever, and, and we could be literally at war again in Europe. And even if we don't, I mean, we're seeing awful images of human catastrophe, atrocity, and, 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 and we're, what is happening? And how does Revelation prepare us for this? See, I, I tend to think that um, all throughout human history, we see what are called prefigurations of the end. And so uh, the people who first heard uh, John's message, the seven churches in, in Turkey and in, in Asia Minor, they didn't see the actual one, but they saw a very, like a prefiguration of the end. Their governments did crack down on them. They did experience a lot of persecution. They did uh, see the, the, the world kind of going against Christianity. They were a part of that. They lived it. They experienced it. It wasn't the, the full end, but it was, it was a partial. It was a prefiguration of the end. And similarly, I think that, uh, you know, you could say the fall of the Roman Empire. You could even say World War II. That was an absolute, complete reconfiguration of, of, of the world. In, in any time in history where we have these forces of chaos, we have these confusion, this, this fear, uh, violence, cataclysm, when those things happen, those are not the end, but they are prefigurations of the end. And Revelation speaks to every single one of those. And so whether we live in the end days or not, Revelation is speaking to us now, and it's preparing us. How? How is it pre- preparing us? At the bottom line, the most important thing that it's doing is this. Listen to how John describes Jesus, not physically, but in terms of who he is. He says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. By faithful witness, he means, uh, witness is the word martyr. It's that Jesus was faithful to the end. He didn't quit even when they killed him. He's the firstborn of the dead. The firstborn, and we are going to be the otherborn of the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him, Jesus, be glory and dominion, authority, power, forever and ever. What's scarier? Seven dollar a gallon gas 
or this guy. With eyes of flame and a sword coming out of his mouth, who defeated death, who is now the true ruler of all the kings of the world. The one who is over all, who is, at the, as, as Doug mentioned, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. What's scarier? Is it tactical nukes in the Ukraine? Or is it this guy for whom the sh- it, it, looking at him is like looking at the sun in, at, at midday in the full force of his glory and power? What's scarier? Is it Gavin Newsom? Or Joe Biden, or Vladimir Putin, or President Xi, or whomever, the rulers in Germany. Who, who, what's scarier, them or this guy who's going to come on the clouds and rescue all of his people on the last day? Who should you be afraid of? This faithful witness, this one who gave himself and shed his blood to free us from sin and death. What's scarier? What's, what, what, how, how much can the earth do? How much can humankind do to us? What can they do that this, that this one, this living one, cannot defend us against, cannot protect us against, cannot win out against? You see, John describes Jesus that way at the very outset. At the beginning, so you know, as scary as things might get, and that Jesus is going to have some harsh things to say to the churches, some things that aren't going to be comfortable for us. He's going to, he, a lot of, there's going to be some uncomfortable, terrifying, scary things. Jesus, or John describes Jesus this way. Jesus reveals himself to John this way, so that you know from the outset, whatever happens, Jesus wins. There is no amount of chaos in the world that he cannot subdue. There is no glory that is more glorious than him. There is no dominion or authority that is not under his foot. And when push comes to shove, he will come with a two-edged sword and wipe out anybody who threatens his church. This is important because, um, number one, because in the coming weeks we're going to see Jesus uh, convicting us of some things. Our, our series at the beginning of, of the year was gifted, all the gifts that we've received in the Spirit. We're now transitioning to uh, some places in the church that we need to work on. Um, and, and, and so part of what's important is to recognize Jesus is on your side. He's on our side. Whatever he's saying, it's, it's him wanting us to be the, the church that he has envisioned us being and, and to be okay with that. And, and, and second, it is to end the fear. Bad things happen. I know Doreen is missing Ronnie something fierce. But the end is secure. It's sure. And I know that we've gone through crazy trauma in these last several years where businesses threatened. I I remember talking to Jeff Stora a few times where he was like, I don't know if we're going to make it. Borrowing money that he didn't have to, to, to keep his, 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 his place going. I know, I know Jeff, you had the same deal where, where just fear. How's it all going to work out? Well, we don't know. But we know that it does. 
because we got this guy on our side. And what would it be like? What would it be like if we lived knowing victory is at hand? What would it look like if we were able to face all these trials, all this chaos, with the conviction that the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of all the kings of the earth, the one to whom all glory and dominion and power will be forever and ever, if that was, the, if that was who we were trusting in, recognizing that we're a kingdom that he's made us priests, If we lived that way, how shocked would a world that is constantly being torn left and right by every new crisis, how blown away would they be by us? How blown away would our skeptical kids be if they saw us living this way? How, how in awe would our skeptical coworkers and colleagues and, and family be if they saw us living without fear, convinced that Jesus wins? It's the last thing here, note sheet. John's vision of Christ assures us that Jesus defeats all the powers of darkness. So wherever you are, whatever fear is in your life, whatever concern, whatever, uh, whatever it is that, that's shaking you, that's, that's taking you to the core, if it's sickness and illness, it's death, it's, it's, it's any of those things, if it's, if it's financial ruin, if it's concern about war, if it's all, any of those things, whatever it is, be assured. All darkness will be stamped underneath the boot of the King of Kings. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the revelation that you give us of Jesus the Messiah. The one who came. The one who shed his blood that we could have forgiveness in life. And the one who will return. The one who is the authority, the the king of kings. The one to whom all glory and dominion belong. God, as you speak to this church through the seven churches of Revelation, may we never lose conviction, never lose hope that the one we're following is stronger and more powerful and more loving than anything we face. And we take courage, whether today be the end of days or it be another 2,000 years, may we take courage and live faithfully as Jesus lived. empowered by his spirit, reveling in his grace. In his name we pray, amen.